Josh Holm is the owner of Home Studio Personal Training, a high-end boutique personal training studio located in the Geneva Commons in Geneva, Illinois. He's been through a lot of massive career transitions from being a metalsmith, a stripper, to taking on the challenge of being on the path of mastery as a personal trainer and business owner. This conversation is a journey of youthful naivety, taking huge risks, trusting the gut, humility, starting again at ground zero, and having no regrets. It's pretty annoying how people don't know that, right? Don't know what? To talk into a microphone. (laughs) That's the story of your life. I guess every job has a... Yeah, that's true. Your pet peeves. They're like, okay, I'm going to hold the (laughs) I'd like to congratulate the bride. But I think that's because you're a musician. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. I know. Every time we do the pitch, it happens all the time. They don't know to speak in the microphone. My my buddy Scott told me how to uh, play guitar and then... Not really sing, but uh, he was like, you got to eat the dick. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Although I don't like to hear people breathe into it all the time, so we'll see what I can do. Hmm. I don't care. All right. So let's see. Where do we start? So what what are you doing right now? And then we'll backtrack to your entrepreneurial journey. So how's business going right now? What are you talking about? Like, no, no one knows who the fuck you are. Who who the fuck are you? Yeah. My name is Josh Holm. I own Home Studio Personal Training. I'm currently in Geneva, Illinois. And um, I've been a personal trainer. It's been my full-time career for 20 years. I'm 47. How did you get into it? Really roundabout. Went to University of Illinois uh, as an art student, studied art. I was going to go into architecture, but one thing led to another, and I got into metalsmithing and chose that as a major. It was supposed to be just a temporary because that sounded interesting for a year before I got transferred. And then after a couple of weeks, I was like, this is great. This is what I'm doing. Parents were like, well, that's not a good idea. You should do architecture, but I didn't really care. So I spent five years in art school, met my now wife at that time um and we started dating after she graduated she's a year ahead of me and then we moved to california didn't have a job or a place to live or uh, a house or anything like that i'd never been there and just bought a van for 800 bucks and loaded up all the stuff we could in there could not get my bass drum in there (laughs) had to have that shipped out like later i just like hit the cardboard box with my wait you guys went out there with zero money yeah, worked a summer job, like moving refrigerators uh, at for like rental service for like moving day for. So I had like six hundred bucks or something, and the, but we lost that on the way. I uh, had to bail my wife out of jail. <laughs> That's a different story, though. She hasn't approved me telling that story. But, uh, down in New Orleans, so yeah, we don't like New Orleans. Um, That's funny. <clears throat> so we showed up, and then we then Vegas was our last stop. We went all over the country. 
um, just saw everybody we knew. And then on our way out to California, you know, like, yeah, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Georgia, Florida, uh, New Orleans, Austin, Texas, and then stopped in Vegas, had never been there. And that's kind of a trap. You like end up sleeping until two in the afternoon and then mm -hmm. you check out, like put your bags and then check back into another room at like 1 a.m. or whatever. And so, and then on the way out, we had like 200 bucks left. Like, you know what? Let's put it all on black. And so we're like roulette <laughs> we're like, and go red. And we go, all right, fuck, fuck this place. Let's go. And so we left there and I really wanted a job and a home and to like settle down because we'd just been nomads for a while. But I did have one really good friend that had moved to California ahead of me in the Bay Area, and he was in uh, Silicon Valley. This is 1998. So we stayed at his place for a little bit and then just kept driving around until we found a place that was halfway affordable to live, which was Santa Rosa, which is an hour north of San Francisco. And then got a little house. Uh, like I said, I was in a band playing drums, and so, uh, but my band was still in Illinois. They were supposed to come out. So two-bedroom house. One of the bedrooms is our band room set up our jewelry equipment and the kitchen and just started looking for jobs and stuff like that and couldn't find anything even like applebee's and stuff places i'd worked before subway whatever and temp jobs i couldn't get anything and after a couple months we went into the mall and my wife was uh had done some retail management and so she was going to go get a job there she, which she did she was applying saw a jewelry store they had a bench out there and a window people could like watch you do do your work and everything and so it was an independent jewelry store and there's no way they're gonna hire me but i just walked in there with my 23 year old ponytail and and said hey you don't happen to need a jeweler and they go well actually we just fired ours because we caught him stealing <laughs> so he kind of did so just the right place at the right time which is sort of how i've always i don't know i guess that happens for everybody uh but i will take these risks you know like as i look back i go oh that's definitely part of my now that i know myself better that's part of my who i am is i'm willing to take that risk and my wife as well like we don't know anybody we don't have any money we don't like other people go well, that's insane why would you do that you know yeah. like you need a plan you need something that makes sense you think you still do that now even yeah. with two kids or i guess yep yeah <laughs> yep yeah yep uh it has to do with uh somewhat earned trust now but like an, an unearned confidence of it'll work out you know I'll, I'll we'll figure it out i'll figure it out like who knows i don't see what the solution is but we'll do it but at the time i was just like you know why not yeah so yeah i was a jeweler for uh, about three years uh, they hired me and trained me you know and then had my own business within three months like renting out the space there and so i had taken an entrepreneurship class my last year of college because uh, i realized i have no preparation for getting a job art school was just all about creating art and make me avant-garde and doing this and that and that's what the professors wanted to see and i was like i'm about to graduate and i don't know how to make money you know mm. you could sell your work but then that's not you need to know something about business or how to do that to even do that and you don't know what you're worth and all that stuff so to get that job was great you know to be in the right place at the right time and weirdly uh you know the summer before Michelle and I, my wife and I, had been walking and 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 creating. A, okay, what do we want our life to look like? And so we really did dream very specifically and say, "Why well, we went on a two bedroom house? So I have a a band room. Uh, I want to be a bench jeweler, you know." And no, there's a lot to like to dream. Like, what is, what does our ideal look life look like? And so that practice is really important to really feel it emotionally. And we've read books, Think and Grow Rich, and you've read that. And, and these things are I hadn't read at the time, but 
Yeah, powerful. And so we look back on our life and go, this is exactly the life that we said we wanted. Yeah, <laughs> We're yeah. living it. Like, that's awesome, you know? Yeah. Um, and my my dad yelling at me, like, not yelling at me, like, he was, like, upset. He like, like, this is my last chance. We're, like, on the way out the door. We're driving away after this, just stopping by my dad's house. And he's like, what the hell are you going to do with, you know, metals? <laughs> I was like, I'll make jewelry. He's like, what are you going to do, make golf clubs or something like that? I was like... <laughs> Like, no, you don't get it. But I was like, I remember just being not at all deterred or, or like, well, he doesn't get it, but I don't care. And I don't, I'm confident in myself. But like I said, kind of an unearned, like, ah, it'll be fine. I don't really know how to go do this, but yeah. I'm going to go do it anyway. And this is what I'm doing. Uh, trusting my gut, which is another thing that is really, um, once I real, I've, I've realized these successes have come from or... Just I knew that's what I was up to doing, you know. My yeah. band ended up backing out. They were supposed to come out, and then they didn't. And the, like six months later, they finally came out, and then a day later, turned around and went back. Why did they go back? They had all sorts of. Uh, my two bandmates was was my best friend from college and his younger brother. Yeah, and so they drove out, and they had been fighting. There's all this stuff going on. I had no idea about. They didn't tell me about. It. I had no clue. And. Um, you know, it was back in 98 when you'd call somebody up on the telephone and that's how you'd talk to them. And so and once in a while we'd touch base. Yeah, we're going to try and get out there. And so they had personal problems between them and some mental health issues and stuff like that. And then turned around and left. I came home from work one day and one of them had left and the other one was like drunk and said, oh, I'm going to leave right now too. And so we locked him in the house. So he couldn't leave until the next day. And I was like, all right, we'll see you. And I go, all right, well, that's done, you know? Yeah. Which makes me think another thing I, I maybe I'm good at is moving on. It's like, well, that was my band. That was the whole reason I moved out there and everything. And like, it didn't happen at all. And they left and go, all right, well, fuck them. You know, like that's definitely done that for six months. I was like, are they ever going to come? Should I, what do I do? And like, that was the moment like, well, that's it. They left. That's their choice. Just in that moment. Just that, that day, the next day or whatever. Yeah. I mean, I didn't sit and be all crying about it or, yeah. or, or pissed off about it. Um, I've gotten really pissed off about other things for sure and held on to over a long time. But not that. It was just like the clear sign, almost the trusting the gut of like, clearly that is over. You know, that has run its course. Even the way I found my band, I was at an open mic night with a buddy and I brought my drums and, and usually there's not a drummer. So everybody's like, hey, will you play with us too? And so I was just improvising with all the, every everybody who went up and did their thing. And there was this band that went out there, fully formed except for a drummer. And uh, and we sounded great. And I it felt easy to like, I felt like I knew the songs, even these two original songs they played. And they're like, hey, you want to be our drummer? Go, yes, I do. <laughs> and that was just like, again, the right um, gutsy enough to get out there and do it and then see like, well, this feels right. Let's do this. Yeah. This thing is right. Yeah. So you asked me how I got into personal training. None of this says anything about personal training. Well, let's go back to the metalsmithing. Yeah. <clears throat> like, why aren't you a metalsmith right now? Why it's not change? my profession right now. I can do it. I have stuff, and I do it if it's a very special project. Uh, my wife's 20-year anniversary ring, for example, or something, you know. Um, my son said, whenever I get married, will you make... I would say, yeah, I'll do it. Um, why do I not do it? So, because of the one thing leading to another, the going with my gut and moving on and um maybe to a fault yeah like being courageous and and not sticking with one thing like i read the, a book called mastery by george leonard which has been one of the huge books i've ever read 
and that was well, I was what 32 when I read it uh, right before a transition in my life and I go oh that's what I do and it, it was there's there's three types in there and one of them is um what takes you off of the path of mastery right and um if I were still a jeweler, or professional jeweler, I will have been doing it for, you know, come almost 30 years at this point, right? You'd be really great at it, high level and everything. And I'm, I'm pretty good if I do it, but it's hard. And I, I got to go back to square one or whatever. And um, one of the types in there is uh, once you hit a plateau on the path, you start something, you get better at it. The skills improve. It's exciting. It's fun. It's interesting and engaging. And then there's a plateau where I... Don't feel like I'm improving anymore. And I would then get bored of that. And I go, oh, well, I can do this thing. And then I get to experience that. Oh, I'm getting better. I'm getting better and better. But you start at ground zero on each of these new skills or whatever I'm taking on. And if you abandon that and start something else, you will never get far on the path of mastery. And I, I recognize that that's what a pattern that, of what I did. I was like, that's me. And so I loved it in school and learned all this stuff. And then I got lucky enough to be, have it be my profession at that time. For three months, I was a paid employee making nine bucks an hour, then 10 bucks an hour. And I was like, that's great. And then I they had my own business. So then I was paying rent of 700 a month to rent out the bench inside of the, the jewelry store. Cause the guy, the manager owner didn't want to mess with all the small timey stuff. And he wanted to focus on sales. So I did repairs, I set stones, I did ring sizings, I did stuff wholesale for the jewelry store, and then all the customers that would walk in, which I was shocked they'd walk in and give some 23-year-old kid their $10,000 ring. It's like, mm. just because I'm I'm here, I had, sorry, to understand, just because I'm here surrounded by this, all this stuff that I must know what I'm talking about, and they just gave it to me, and, and I never took that lightly or screwed it up or anything like that, or, but um, it was shocking. I didn't feel like I deserved that at the time, but people were doing it. So you're you're saying after three months <clears throat> you became your own entity? Yeah, yeah. It's called J and M Jewelers, Josh and Michelle, and um, inside of that jewelry shop. Correct. So I had my own uh, um, sole proprietorship, and um, I was a business owner at that point. You know, now looking back, the, the difference between a business owner and meaning you have employees and other people are working for you, or really I had a practice, uh, like a doctor or a lawyer, or like I was only getting paid for every hour I worked. That's the only mm -hmm. way to make money. I wasn't, yeah. um, in fact, I kept getting busier. So, and then I was in, went from $9 an hour to $10 an hour to instantly charging $20 an hour, which was insane. And then I got so busy. I go, well, I don't have more hours. What I'll do is I'll raise my price. So I bumped it up to 30 bucks an hour and then I got more busy and then I bumped up 40 an hour and I got more busy and then 50 an hour. And I thought it would have, um, that was quite a revelation. I thought that would have people go, well, he's too expensive. I'll go somewhere else. But that's not what happened. They just go, okay. You know, it, it didn't matter. It didn't lower the number of hours I got. And yeah. so I went from nine to 10 to 20, 30, 40, $50 an hour, which was, I was like, this is incredible. Were you scared to raise the prices? Yes. At all? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. Every time? Yeah. You know, it, it, the logic of what I thought was, well, this is, it might, ruin everything or it might i don't know you think that somebody's gonna call you out on it and go you're not worth it or something like that and occasionally somebody come up and then and like some cheap person and they'll like here fix this real quick for free i go well it's 12 dollars like it'll take you a minute i go well then you do it you know like i wasn't a dick about it i would be now but at the time i you know like shy and polite yeah and uh to say no to somebody who's like really pushy one time this woman 
walked in and and like walked behind the she's like no just do it and she walked behind the counter which is like this barrier that you know you'd feel like you're trying to steal jewelry if you come yeah. behind this there's and she's walked behind and she goes no just do it i'm like what the hell is going on somebody so pushy this chinese woman and uh so i was like no you know get the fuck out of here like i, I would have been much more now i have more experience with people like that telling yeah. me, telling me you're not worth it or something like that and I, I realized the truth of that, and I'd rather charge more than, oh, my wife just read me a quote this morning. It was perfect. It's exactly what this is, was, I forget exactly how it goes, but there was the sentiment that I was about to say anyway that I'd known, but it was spoken really eloquently, which I now forget. But uh, it was, if you charge the least, nobody will think that you're the best. And if you charge the most, um, something the opposite of that basically yeah. and that's what i've that's what i've since i went up to 50 which i thought like that's crazy that you know in year 2000 I'm, I'm making 50 bucks an hour as a jeweler how many years did that take from 20 to 50 it was very quick i just kept doing it i was like well this will fix it because i was too busy i see because i wanted to get time in my schedule to create my own artwork because i wasn't i got a degree in art creating and then i got a job and I'm sizing rings and I'm doing repairs, all of which I learned on the job. You didn't actually learn that in school, really. And I thought, I don't have time to create my own stuff. I would do custom pieces and only. Um, I'd get commissions for custom pieces, and some of them were ugly. They're like, make it like this. I'm like, oh, God, just don't tell anybody I made this. Like, <laughs> it's a well made, ugly ring. And then. I wanted to start my own line and do all this stuff, you know, that ambition. And I was like, I didn't, couldn't find time to do it. I was working mm. like maybe 50 hours a week or something. And that, that was my impetus to do that is to raise my prices. I'll get more time. And it just kept not working. Yeah. I guess I forgot that. That wasn't, that was part of it. It kept not, I didn't get less work. I just yeah. made more money, um, which I love. And then I got to the point. So that was all. I mean, maybe two years or something like that, two and a half years of doing that. And then I was kind of cruising at that rate. And um, the concept of that, like I said, I would get bored. So then it's kind of a plateau. It's like, well, this is where you're at. You can make a decent living. This is good. I'm good at it. The longer I do it, I'll keep getting better. And the, the idea of doing this job for the rest of my life, this career, that concept bored me. Yeah. I go, okay, I'm good at this. I'm in a good spot. I got a great opportunity. If I keep doing this, that just the idea of that was boring, which was immature at the time. And I was immature. I was 25, you know, and I, I see that in employees who I hire, they're too young. You know, like I see that happen in people that age and it's a good age to do it. You say, okay, change your mind, do something else. Like, okay, that's fine. That's not my point that I regret and I wish I was doing it. I don't, but I saw, I didn't see it at the time, but when I was 32, I look back and go, oh, every five years I get really bored of stuff. Mm. And I want to start something new. But if I keep doing that, and then I was like old enough at that point to go and I kid and everything. I'm like, okay, if I keep doing that, then I'm going to be back at square one in some new job, you know, like, oh, I want to open up McDonald's. I'm going to go be the fry guy and start there now at age 47. That doesn't sound good anymore. So hence sticking on the path of mastery for 20 years as a trainer. Although part of that is I trick myself when I, cause I do get bored on those plateaus and I trick myself into having a new challenge, but still doing the same thing. For example, like going out on my own, starting in a gym as an employee and then going out on my own and training people in their homes. Does and, it work? Yes. Yeah. And then I started my own business, you know, my own studio, and that was a huge challenge. And then hiring my first employee, that was a huge 
challenge and then expanding into a bigger space was a big challenge. And then when COVID hit and ruined, you know, my entire industry and we were, I was retired for two and a half months and shut down and then had to reopen and didn't know what was happening after that. That's a whole nother, that was a whole nother challenge that got thrown at me that I didn't want because I was just starting to get a little bit good at the, the previous challenge. But I've been doing it all this time. And so now I just, all of a sudden it's been 20 years, you know? So I kind of tricked myself into, cause I can hardly stand to, like I've got the balls to just jump and not know that I'm gonna, if I'm gonna succeed or fail and go do a thing. Like that's my, my risk tolerance is just high. That's naturally who I am. Um, but what I don't have is I look, I see some guys that are like, man, I hate my fucking job and they've been doing it for 30 years. And I go, well, I just couldn't do a job that I hate for 30 years. Like that's a certain kind of perseverance that that guy has that he can do. And he's making good money and he's taking, I look all these positives, but he's saying, I just don't like this job. Like I have to love my work. And I do love my work. If I look at my work and I don't love it, I now realize, well, what I can do is make myself love it somehow, like trick myself into loving it or find a new challenge that's interesting and engaging for me because now I know it, it does get boring. Yeah. Um, it can be boring at times, let's say that. So you got bored with the metal smithing after two years, you said? Yeah, like two and a half years. You know what you do? Um, How's your transition? <laughs> Uh, I took this course and, um, you know, I'd been in the band during this time as well. And I was going, you know what I really want to do again to a fault, um, maybe have this, uh, quality in me, which was, okay, what I really want to do is go, I keep getting so busy doing all this repairs and stuff. What I should do is quit here, leave here. And then I'll open my own, I'll, I'll, I'll make it stuff at home and, um, figure out how to sell my jewelry, you know, like actually create jewelry and sell it in my line of what I was going to do. And so I go, oh, okay, I'm going to do that. So I bought all this stuff, moved home, quit my job. This is right when my wife and I got married. She quit her job because <laughs> we couldn't get time off for honeymoon. We're like, oh, let's quit. So we're both, we both have this level of, a lot of couples have like, you know, one's way more conservative and then the other one's like, you know, crazy. And we're both like that. So that comes with its own problems and challenges. Uh, <laughs> Because we'll do it. You know, she's not nagging me like, no, don't do that. You got to keep working. I was like, yeah. yeah, you should do that. <laughs> and so we do. So, yeah. So I went home. It was funny because this was the quickest one. This didn't even get started. So we bought all the stuff, set up a whole. We had bought a house and had three bedrooms. So one of the bedrooms was the, the metalsmithing studio and then into the garage and everything like that. And I had my music stuff in my basement. And that was going to be great. And then. I took this course. And I go, you know what? I really, really number one want to do, and I'm scared to do, is be a musician and just like quit all this and like be a rock star, be in my band, and like go do that until it works. And I go, okay. And so I'm going to do that. And so I, I, um, then we also kind of lucked into there's a real estate boom in California at the time. Uh, lucked into this uh, the house that we had bought is a real estate deal. These developers came and and the we're going to you know, make this money at the end of this deal. And we go, well, hey, how about this? How about you pay us $4,000 a month, um, our profit up front? And they go, well, we don't normally do that. And uh, we go, well, that's what we want. So do you want to do that? And then they did. So we were making, we'd quit our jobs and we're making four grand a month, not working. And so then I was like, well, this is the perfect opportunity. We set up our life to, uh, I can be in my band and, and we can make that happen, you know? So I bought myself some time. Okay, so you pretty much you sold the house, but they're paying you $4,000 a month until they pay it all off? 
not quite. So uh, these developer guys, and they would they would find pieces of property. You know, for example, we had a half acre in uh, Santa Rosa, and that which is a lot. It was in town. That's a large amount of land, and, and a house with a basement, which was also really rare. These guys from Oklahoma had this guy had built it with his own hands, with his sons or whatever. And so it was a strange piece of property, you know, surrounded by the town and everything was like too big. And so these developers, my realist, realtor friend um, who sold his house, knew these guys and they came in and said, well, we can make apartment buildings here or something like that, develop it and add more. Like there's, there's so much bare land here. This is so precious in California. And so they came and they didn't buy the house for us. They were bringing the business acumen and they were going to build this thing and all the money and everything for developing it. On your land. And we were bringing the land to the deal. So, gotcha. so they didn't buy it from us right out. Um, they said, okay, we'll do this deal together. And when you're, you know, when it goes through, then you'll have to move because we'll knock the house down and build this stuff. Or what ended up happening was only just building one other house on it because they couldn't get zoning. But we didn't know any of this stuff at the time. We we're very, you know, super green with all this stuff. But we're interested in real estate investing. And yeah, so what we negotiated, which is what we wanted, is like, well, we don't want to wait around and get $100,000 in three years. Uh, what we want is $4,000 a month now, you know, because mm. then, then we don't have to get jobs. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we're 25, 26, don't have kids. And uh, I thought that'll be great. And so they agreed to it. Now what I see, what they did was then knock off our, every time we asked for something, they were smart enough to, knock off percentage of whatever we're getting in the end you know mm. we didn't know that was really happening at the time but uh because there was other times where we're like hey can you just buy us out completely and they're like well we'll give you 10 grand but you got to get out of the house and like just sell us the house completely um so by that in the end we made like eighty thousand dollars or something um and kind of blew it all on our living expenses at the time mm. but it was pretty great and another thing of just unconventional we'll just you know, it, an opportunity came our way and we took it. I didn't, you know, I didn't know to make that happen. We didn't know that could have happened. And it was really strange type of deal. I don't, I don't hear that type of thing much, but been back to the property. They just built one other house and then split this land and sold both of them. And they, I don't know what they made, but, um, you know, we were happy with it at the time. Yeah. Um, and then, so you were doing music? Yes. So I stopped doing jewelry and was just focusing on music. Um, what I learned then was it's better to be busy. <laughs> but I look back and I'm like financially, like why don't we just keep the job, keep making jewelry, keep making fifty bucks an hour, and get the real estate money, and pursue music until that goes. You know, stick with the band. Like all these things, like I can say to a fault of, I'll drop this and I'll do this thing. So I was in uh, my band at the time. It was. Loved it. We recorded and uh, we're playing shows and battle of the band and stuff and on a local radio station, uh, you know, interview or something like that. And so just this very beginnings of, and again, quit that before it had time to come to fruition. I was like, now look back. It's like, there's so many bands that paying their dues is, they seem like a new band on the scene, but they've been hustling for 10 years, yeah. and making no money for whatever. And um, with no guarantee of it, you know, and I was not, I was like, oh, I'm almost, 28 years old, I'll be old, you know, thinking that's old. I remember mm. thinking 28 is old, you know, too late to make it in music or something like that. So stupid ideas, mistaken ideas, but um, not how I felt at the time. So the real estate deal had to, had to do with this, like what one thing led to another. So right after I got married, I hired a personal trainer. I was doing this course called Team Management and Leadership Program. And the idea was to 
create teams of people instead of doing everything yourself, which is always the attitude I had, had was I'll do everything myself and didn't even occur to me to ask for help or have other people do things or build a team around it. So that was the point of this course. And um, I thought, okay, I want to get in shape. I'd been trying to do it myself and it hadn't worked. I was an athlete in high school. I stayed in decent shape in college. But sitting down at a jeweler's bench for 10 hours a day for three years, I had gotten quite out of shape and had back problems and uh, back pain and stuff like that all the time and was kind of shocked to see, oh, you got to try at this, you know, at this age. It's not just. So uh, anyway, I hired a trainer and um, just barely gave up my ego enough to like say, okay, I need help with this. I'll hire a trainer. And I did and um, won this, you know, fitness competition, like this 12-week transformation thing, sort of a, a bet amongst a, a couple dozen people. <laughs> And had uh, part of it was an essay. And what I wrote in the essay is I'm never going to veer off this path again. Because I, you know, like I said, I was an athlete in high school and before that. And then no problem staying in shape in college, just walking and playing basketball once in a while. And, and then um, adulthood was going to look like a different thing. So I didn't mean that I was going to make it my career. And I didn't mean it that much. But I was like, okay, I'm not going to. And uh, so I'd work out. And then this combined with then the band thing uh, i was like impatient with my band i was like everybody should quit their job like i did which is ridiculous everyone in your band i thought they all should yeah <laughs> but they're like we can't do that yeah. of course they couldn't and um one guy had a kid coming and the other one's owned a restaurant and i was like yeah it's like no you just keep playing until it and i was so impatient i was like we need to make it now let's like quit our jobs go on tour and just like figure this out I don't know how to go on tour either. You know, like it's not as fucking easy as all that. Yeah. And there's certainly no money to be made. At best, you're going to break even, I now understand. But whatever, that's what I wanted. And they wouldn't do it. And so I was like, all right. And then I had this impulse. This, I went and saw the off-Broadway production stomp, all the percussion with the garbage cans and the, all that stuff. And they had a, a show in San Francisco, a standing production there. And I saw that and I go, I'm going to be in stomp. It was just like this very strong gut feeling. Like I'm, I'm going to be in stomp. And I, I remember the moment I was like stepping into the shower. I was like, oh my god, I'm going to be in stomp. And so maybe by now I had enough confidence in these <laughs> gut feelings. I was like, all right, let's throw everything away in my life, and I'm going to do that. Not everything, but for some reason I quit the band, which also wasn't necessary in retrospect. But uh, I could have just done that as well. But I did, and we had the income coming in, and so I started training for that. So I thought, I'm in shape now. I'm a drummer. And now I'm going to, I'll take dance classes. So I took hip hop dance class, which I'd never done before, and tap dancing class, and then this Pilates class. So I was spending some time at this dance studio and just training for all this stuff and just waiting for an audition to happen, which was under, indeterminate. They didn't know when an audition would happen. But um, so I started these classes in like the fall semester, so August or something, September. And then there was a, not an audition until February. Um, and it was in New York City on the stage there that they they have the the first show, which was there off Broadway. And uh, I'd never been to New York, so I flew to New York in February. Horrible snow and cold and everything. My brother-in-law happened to live out there in Brooklyn. So I stayed with him, which was really awesome adventure, and then went to the audition process there. Did the first one. It was great. There's 3,000 people auditioning for six spots, but I'm 100% confident I'm going to get it right. <laughs> and... Uh, get a call back and um i remember people were like wow you're so good and everything because i'd been specifically going to the show every week watching it and learning all the skills that they have like yeah. like with the pole and all these different ways that they do percussion which i don't think they care about all they care about is like the personality and the 
you know, your presence on stage and they figure they can teach you all this stuff. I did not know this at the time. I really focused on all these skills, which I was pretty good at. And then I go back the second day after, the, you know, for the, the callback and we did this different thing. You're up on the stage together with people like, uh, and uh, really great experience. And everybody's so supportive and, and fun of, of each other. Like everybody's oh, so energizing to be auditioning for the show in New York. It was amazing. Yeah. And then they read off, you know, who's made it to the next cut. And I don't hear my name. And I was, I was <laughs> so arrogant. I'm like, really? Like, uh, I'm at your service. Uh, you guys don't, you, you must have forgotten me or something like that. And I went up the guy. And uh, that was it. So one call back and then I didn't get it. So I just like my whole plan was I'm going to get this for sure. Uh -huh. And then I was like, nope. And a lot of people audition. I heard people of auditioning, you know, five times. You know, you have to wait a year each time before they got on and everything. Again, this impatience was there of like, well, I'm not doing that. You know, like something mm -hmm. else will come along. So so the next career path sort of type of thing was, um, so keep in mind, I'm working out this whole time. I'm in shape and, you know, people are like noticing my muscles in my body and women and stuff like that. And I started thinking, I was like, well, you only make so much money. I think it was like 40 or 44,000 or something like that in San Francisco being a cast member of Stomp, which is not enough to earn a living in, in the Bay Area. And um, I was thinking, I was like, maybe I could be a stripper. And I thought about, I just started having this fantasy in my head of like, I feel like I could do that and make a lot of money. I don't know how, I don't know where you do it. And so eventually I told my wife this and she goes, yeah, I could see that. And so not laughing in my face or whatever. And I go, okay. And then I told some other female friends of mine and they're all like, yeah, I could see that. And so it's like, this isn't some ridiculous delusion. I'm getting some feedback from women that, yeah, maybe you could do that. That idea just came out of nowhere? Yeah. Yeah. I suppose from people going, oh, you got some muscles now and everything. Yeah. Oh, you're looking good and whatever. Yeah. I mean, how did you know it was going to pay you I didn't, good money? I, it just seems like a job you make a lot of money. But okay. I'd, not, you know, I'd never seen a male stripper do a thing before. Rarely even been a, 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 another, a strip club with women or whatever. And women's a whole different thing. They make way more money. But um, uh, no, just came out of nowhere. So. Okay. Um, and again, I'm seeing a theme here of just like following inspiration. Like, this is what I want. I don't know. I, I didn't see, there was no actual opportunity anywhere. It was yeah. just this, started as a fantasy. Then I got up the courage to tell my wife, like, what do you think? She goes, yeah, I can see that. And then telling other women and, and I just getting like encouragement basically. Like, yeah, yeah, you could probably do that, I guess. And nobody go, well, this is how you do it. This is where you do it. This is what it is. It's like, I don't know. And um, was not interested in doing it at gay strip clubs or something like that, doing for men. That didn't interest me. Nothing wrong with that, but it's nothing interested me at the time. I was like, I'm more the ego boost of doing it for women in front of women. And, uh, but it's not like I knew how to think it through or anything. It's just kind of this little idea, seed of an idea in my head. So I didn't get stomp. And then I was just really at a blank. I was like, oh, shit. I put all my eggs in this basket. I dumped this other stuff. And now... The money's starting to run out from the real estate deal. Mm. So that was February, and then it comes around to, I don't know, later that year or something like that. And then I'd also been thinking, and when I, I got hired by, uh, or when I hired my trainer, he was great. And um, I was looking at it, I was like, I, I, I could do this. I didn't want to do it, but I just always thought, like, I could do that. I could be a trainer. That was also there. Mm. So then we eventually did get sort of bought out of the house, which meant we had to move. Yeah. Um, so we had to get out of our house, and so we went down to Berkeley from Santa Rosa down to Berkeley. And we've been up at Santa Rosa for four years. So this is 2002, and we go down to 
how do we even know? We knew somebody who had a rental as a tiny little place, 750 square feet, and the rent was insane. I remember that was like 1700 a month or something like that for this tiny little place and over a garage behind a, another house in Berkeley. And, um, and now we don't have jobs or money or savings or, you know. So again, another thing on paper, very financially irresponsible or most people I, I see that there's a, a healthy amount of fear that keeps them from doing something like that. And I don't really, but not me. And then not us either. Again, not my, not that we didn't worry about money. We do, did and, and, and will, but, um, and have problems with it. And, and a lot of stress this is all very stressful way to live as well. You know, it's not a secure thing, but, um, anyway, that's what I've done. And, and that I now know like that's who I am and how I am. And that, like I said, the mistake of quitting these things before they have time to come to fruition or, and, and not having the perseverance that is the immature part of it. What are some recent sparks of inspiration? You're like, Ooh, I want to do that. And how do you navigate that now with being more mature and knowing your patterns? Well, the most recent was just a couple of days ago. So I have one training studio right now. And, um, you know, my company has been in existence for 13 years now. So since 2009. And like I said, growing, 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 and then expanded. And then COVID hit, it shrunk way back down. And most of my employees left, and um, understandably. And, um, you know, business went way back down. And it was not just me, but close to it, myself and a couple other key employees. And now that I've been able to build it back up again, um, looking to expand, it's always, it's, it's for a long time been my intention to open a second and a third and a fourth and a fifth and, and have uh, many studios. And it's not just me uh, or the one rather. And so the way, the way that I intend to structure it just kind of came in a, in a conversation with my wife. We were having lunch a couple of days ago. And that comes from an opportunity that, that came our way. What was it? you know, six or seven months ago of, of a trainer showing up and talking to us about a certain idea. And um, so I am committed to this path. The difference is I'm not going to like, oh, I'm going to dump this business and go start something completely different from ground zero. I'm mm. not going to do that. And I've shown, proved myself, you know, I've stuck through these difficulties, uh, the expansions and ups and downs. And there's been a lot since um, 2009 which has given me a lot of confidence of now I have, it's taken discipline to get that perseverance. It's taken, and, you know, thoughtfully, you know, and really considering, oh, should I stop doing this? Should I shut this down uh, during COVID because it was being shut down for me, you know, uh, or, or should I stick around? And my, my choice at that, that time, it was a very thoughtful choice. And I, I really looked at it from every angle and checked in with my gut and what's the wise thing to do. Uh, what do I really want to do? And which was to the answer was yes, I'm going to stick through this. Don't know how long it's going to take or how it's going to go, but other studios are closing, uh, you know, the entire industry and many industries took a hit of course, but anything that was as face to face as personal training and fitness is took a huge hit and we didn't know when it was going to come back. And it's really a, of the people, like how many people are willing to come back, you know, cause there's mm -hmm. some were fine with it right off the bat and others that, still have never come back and, and you know just still hold up in their homes like worried about germs and stuff like that um so anyway i thought i will stick it out and at the end of this a lot of the competition will have gone away and then there will be 
also a lot of people have gained a lot of weight during this time and stopped working out completely. And um, so now there's more demand really for it. Did that turn out to be true? Yes. Yeah, which is great. And to be, to have weathered the storm and still be here rather than somebody going, oh, I'm going to start my own studio now. I'm so far ahead of that competition, whatever that is. So I've been made much tougher because of weathering the storm. I still don't know what the future brings. Uh, I think a lot of that, that arrogance is I'm more humbled over all these years, all the ups and downs and all the, the hits I've taken and stuff like that. As I'm talking about myself in my 20s, you know, to think like that I can't believe that I didn't get hired right away to stomp or something like that is that's silly. That's arrogant. That's like maybe that happens to some if some great talent or again in the right place at the right time. And, you know, with my jewelry business, that that was very fortunate. But to know now to stick it out and to achieve what I want, it's going to be hard. And I'm going to not long periods of not knowing the path and not knowing what it looks like and not even having control like during the, the shutdown and then afterwards in the pandemic, not having any ability to put my foot on the gas and make more business happen. There just wasn't that ability. Uh, not that I saw. I uh, just had to wait it out and see how it went. You know, I'd spent all this money building up this expanded studio in 2017 and um, into a different, different space that was uh, four times the size of the previous one and starting all these group classes and had all these, you know, we had up to 22 employees, I think, and uh, 160 group class members and seven personal trainers working with one-on-one clients and stuff. And so it was this much bigger operation, which must much bigger expenses. And that was quite stressful and challenging to build that up. There were a lot of ups and downs with that. And it just had the best month ever in January 2020 when the... That was at that old place? Uh-huh. The big one? Yeah, yeah, the big one. And, um, you know, beautiful studio. It done a great job making it look gorgeous. And um, so what was my point? What the hell am I talking about? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> um, sticking through that, having that shut down and not knowing. So eventually, um, yeah, the end of that year became clear we couldn't be there. It was too big. It was too big. It was not getting used. You know, with this yeah. huge, huge space that wasn't earning its keep, you know, and didn't look like that was going to be turned around too soon. So got an opportunity to, again, one thing laden through another, I would have never known that I could have gotten into the space I am now, the physical space. Um, well, what's so special about the new space? The location is a very high traffic area. It's a very high end area. I wouldn't have thought I could have gotten in there. Um, so it hadn't occurred to me, but through talking to this guy and this, this relationship, a guy who has a business there as well, thought, okay, we'll just, you know, check it out, figure it out. You know, yeah. um, uh, there's commercial real estate. To understand, I'm not the only one who having a hard time. It's all of commercial real estate's having a hard time because so many businesses are shutting down that there is more commercial real estate available to move into. So got this opportunity and then took the opportunity and had to move everything very fast within a couple of weeks and doing with all this hassle and you helped me and uh it was just tons of hard work and my wife you know painting the place herself and and building walls and moving the equipment and everything and the expense of moving as well very tricky um but i would never have done that i would never have 
seen the opportunity and then taken another risk to keep it going had I not already thought it through very thoroughly and I had plenty of time to think, do I want to keep doing this? Is this still my path? Mm -hmm. Is this a sign that I should quit the fitness industry and do something else? And then having gone through all that and very much determined, made up my mind, yeah, I will keep doing this. And again, the, the wisdom behind that, which I think is right, is when this is over, I'll be the last man standing, you know, and so much of the competition will have fallen away. And um, there's other places, of course, and everything. Um, but there's nobody that's been around since 2009 at this point, I don't think, um, yeah. or very way, way fewer anyhow. And, you know, with my experience and my knowledge and that's another thing that keeps me on the path of mastery. It's like, it's, 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 it's great. It's, you can't, if I started over with something else now, I would be 67 by the time I had this amount of experience and knowledge. Hmm. That's it's too fucking late. You know, uh, it, it's not if that's what you need to do, is that somebody else needs to do, but that's not what I'm up to. So I like the idea of having 20 years of experience and all the different ways that I've had my career and, you know, the jewelry business, these other experiences you're you're having me talk about, which I haven't, I mean, it's in my mind now. It's, it's, I see the, the story of my business life is, uh, it's like, oh, I'm, I'm learning things about myself right now as, yeah, I, yeah. as I'm talking about it. Question, did you gloss over the stripper thing for a reason? No. Okay. Uh, just, I'd be happy to talk about it, but, uh, which was a big deal, yeah. Because um, I would think you're a man. You would think You know. That. <laughs> stripping <laughs> in front of women uh -huh. like shit let's just keep that going yeah people find that really interesting <laughs> it was interesting so it, it became this dream of mine no I'm very proud of it and it's funny to talk to people who assume people assume things uh, they assume I fell on hard times and I was like <laughs> you know hit rock bottom or something like that or uh, I just did it for the money it was like, no, that was a dream of mine. That It became, during that time, I was training for Stomp and, and dancing and and had gotten in really good shape. And um, I'm 27 at this time. And like I said, I start telling people about it. And they're like, yeah, I can see that. you know. So And um, did not know what action to take, though, to make it happen. So then my wife and I, we moved down to Berkeley. We're staying in this tiny little place, just us and our two dogs in this little place, still don't have kids or anything. And she gets a job as a realtor, not a job, she gets her license and all that. So see, she's starting her career as that. And I, <laughs> this is weird. Again, again, just twists of fate. So she had gotten fired from her previous part-time job yeah. up in Santa Rosa. So then she's going to try to file for unemployment and they say, well, you, but you have to be applying for jobs to file for unemployment to get it. And wait, why that's just the rules you can't you can't just get unemployment if you're not applying for other jobs it's supposed to be tiding you over uh, okay. she never did get an unemployment check at all but like so she had to go apply for jobs so she's like we're we're at uh export at, or no not export. it's 24 hour fitness out there export just ripped off their uh, entire <laughs> model um Seriously? yeah so we go to the gym and then they're like oh we're having a job fair we're trying to hire trainers and stuff like that and so my wife goes, well, I'll go there and, and apply for, I'm not going to do it, but I will just proof that I'm looking for that I'm applying for a job, right? Yeah. So she goes to apply. She's like, you should come with me. And I go there and they look at me and they're like, you should be a trainer. And I go, yeah, 
I mean, I feel like I could. Like I said, I felt like I, it's a thing I could do with my experience with coaching people and, and then my fitness level and all this stuff. But I was like, eh. And so they were just like right on the spot. They're like, you should do it. I go, all right. And so I put an application in as well, having no intention to do it, although I did need a job. And then I interviewed with her just right there on the spot. And I, I had, because it was just a powerful place to do it. it was like, I didn't really want it. And I was desperate to like live my dream. I was like, I don't fucking care. And I just sat there and it was like, I remember being very charming and like on the spot and just, just kind of nailing it. And I'd learned a lot from my trainer and I was like, well, he was great. And then adding to my other experience in these, these programs, these coaching programs and stuff like that. Anyway, they offered me the job right there. Yeah. And I was like, Kinda, and they're like, well, and then you got to go through this and this and this to get certified and do these things. I go, well, <laughs> I don't even know how this worked out. It's like, well, I don't want to do that. If I'm going to do it, just like let's do this right away. And they're like, well, there's a course that starts this weekend. You know, it's just like a week long training thing that they had. And I go, okay. And so then all of a sudden, I'm a personal trainer, like getting hired. You know, at this uh, big, huge box gym. It's it's probably the biggest, I don't know, in the nation or whatever. Um, Everything west of the Mississippi was 24-hour fitness. Hmm. And, um, you know, that's what they do. They hire beginner trainers. And um, so all of a sudden, I'm a, I'm a trainer. And, I, and so I'm learning all these things. Again, going to the, back to the path of mastery, being at grind zero, everything was so – I go to this class, and I remember being like, this is awesome. I love learning so much. I love – I was growing so much. I was, I was like, there's so much information, so much improvement, so quick. It's very fun and exciting and loving that. So, again, I'm back at – this new thing I'm doing and really, really into it. And then I get the job and then it's like, okay, now we're desperate for money. You know, we have no money. We have this high rent on this tiny little place. Mm -hmm. And I thought, okay, maybe I can just be a trainer and then I could be, I get a job as a stripper somehow, which I still had no idea how to do. And then I'll know everything about how to train, you know, how to keep my in shape and look good and all this stuff. And that makes sense, right? I'll just do a little bit of training part-time and I'll make all this money being a stripper somehow and that'll be easy. Um, which was not the case. Uh, so then we just desperately need money. And so then I'm just immediately hustling as a trainer. And then I immediately find out I really love it. I'm actually quite good at it. So I just quickly get up to 40 hours a week as a trainer. Still don't have the stripper thing going in any way. Um, I wasn't taking any action. I kind of wanted it and I didn't know how to take an action. And I didn't, I didn't know where to go or what to do. You know, there's yeah. no just like job office to be a, uh, a male stripper you know female stripper there's plenty of strip clubs and stuff like that but there were no i found out there's no strip club in the area for for men to do anything and uh i just didn't know what the hell to do about it so eventually but i was kept talking about it with with uh michelle and then uh, i remember one day i was in the shower and then she had looked up in the yellow pages which had never occurred to me <laughs> <laughs> used to be a thing and and saw that there was like four stripper agents. She called two of them. Two of them had closed, and then she got a hold of two others. And so she talked to this woman on the other end. They almost became friends. They never met face to face, to face but they would talk. Uh, Beth, I think her name was, and said, "Yeah." So she, I get out of the shower, and she's like, "Well, I set up an interview for you." Wow, <laughs> two interviews actually. Um, and I went to the one, and it was uh, the guy was like, "Yeah, all right." And he's like, "He's like, well, I've never seen a white white boy come down here for this and everything." And uh, technically hired me but there was no no work or anything ever came from that one mm. so how it worked was then it, I'm, I'm one of many strippers working for an agency and so um this other one i met with 
I remember him saying, wow, you're tall. He's like, it's kind of intimidating or whatever. I realized most short strippers are kind of shorter because in a picture you look awesome. It's easier to be all like, look like you're huge. Mm. But um, also guys mistakenly think that's what women want as a dude. It's like huge and mean looking and whatever. Like they do not want to invite that into their house. Mm. So smile in your picture if you're, <laughs> if you're going to be. <laughs> so I ended up, this other agency said they hired me. But again, that there's not, doesn't mean just a bunch of work came. And I also didn't know how to then do the thing. I'd never done the thing mm-hmm. at all, but somehow confident that I can do it. And so I remember there was like nine months. So meanwhile, I'm busting my ass as a trainer six days a week and get that job going. And so we're getting by, kind of scraping by financially. And um, I didn't, he's like, okay, you got to get a cell phone. This is 2002, three. I'm like, ugh, I don't want a cell phone. Um, always been against like email and cell phones and, and and social media. All these things have never been like, oh, I'm excited to do this. It's like, no, I don't want people bothering me. And um, so I didn't have one. So he, he's just like, well, you're not going to get gigs unless you have one. And then eventually he's also, you got to get a great photo uh, to put on the website and stuff. And so I had this photo, which I thought was good and uh, was not good looking photo, but it's not what gets you gigs i realized hmm. so eventually uh, i get a cell phone and he says well uh i can have my photographer guy take shots of you and i saw his the the age the, 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 the guy who owned the agency used to be a stripper and um would still do it when he had to but what he really wanted to do was build his business so as i would always look at these people as mentors you know like now i look at it, i was like well what were they doing what was hmm. he trying to do you know he was transitioning from i do all the work myself to I run a business and have get paid to have other people do it. So uh, I remember it was about nine months before I got a gig at all. Uh, and then it was kind of like this paying your dues type of thing. So uh, we actually did send me into this Filipino gay club in San Francisco. And, uh, you know, I'm 6'2", long blondish hair at the time, sandy blonde, whatever. And, uh, you know, I have, I guess, about 210 pounds or something at the time. And I just walk, walking into this uh, uh, a bunch of small Asian men, gay, gay men in there. And then they would also have like a drag review. So they would do like some, you know. And so I just walked through back into the green room, which was like the storage shed with like plywood and stuff like that. So I'm just sitting in there with this other dude, never having done it before. Uh, but the good news is I wasn't nervous at all because I didn't care what these people thought of me. Mm. Like if it was a club full of women, I would have been probably not gutsy enough to do it but the fact that i'm not gay and i didn't care what they thought i'm like well fuck it you know they don't know who i am they won't see me. i'm anonymous in this big city and um to have the guts to do it also not knowing what i'm doing i never practiced i was like i couldn't stand to like the idea of practicing in a mirror at home or anything like that so i just went out there and i don't know kind of did it it was just like one song or something like that and made like 180 bucks in like five minutes or something like that. So I thought that's pretty fucking good, right? Yeah. And you say it that way, like that's the amount of performing I was doing, but also it's it's your whole night. Uh, you got to get prepared. I got to fucking shave my whole body and you got a uniform and a, and a, and a costume, uh, the Tarzan thing at the time with my long hair and then driving home. So it's it's your whole night, to, you know, but I was like, okay, that's what I'm talking about. Like it's not exactly everything, all my, my fantasy dream here at this uh, club, but uh, the money was cool. So I did that. And then uh, the guy, Lars, who owned the uh, agency, took me along to as a, like a ride-along one time to a show. I remember it was a Christmas party for these nurses. Uh, nurses like to get loose, so that was good. And 
he was there as the main attraction. And then I was like, obviously, this is like new, fresh blood or whatever. Like, we're just sitting, supposed to watch what he did and how he did it. Because do a whole hour show is different than just one song. Mm. The guy thinks of stripping, you're like, boom, close off. Okay, now what do you do for an hour? And how does that make money? You know, how are you hustling for tips and stuff like that? You got to mm. play games, you got to do this body shots, various things, whatever. Um, I had no idea. So I watched him do this and he kept doing all these things like, all right, this is $5, this is $10. And he's like making all this money. And then uh, the the nurses, the women at this party were like, what about this guy? We want this boy up here and everything. So I just got up and just did whatever. And again, made like a hundred bucks in like five minutes or something like that. I'm like, well, this is fantastic. And he was like, I remember him saying, he's like, yeah, I knew they were going to do that because you know, they want the, the, the new guy over there. So that was sort of my training. I, I think I went to this Filipino club two or three times, maybe three times. And then I eventually got these professional shots, which were fantastic. And again, I'm smiling. I'm thinking, you're like going to flex and all this. Stuff. And the, the photographer was like, no, it's like, let's do this. And uh, turns out modeling is hard when you always hear models go, oh, it's really hard. The back is cramping. You're trying to like work out for two hours and smile and flex mm. and look natural. And like, that's difficult to do. But I get this great shot. And so because, pretty much only that, because I had a very good-looking, inviting shot, a lot of guys had their own self-shots or something, you know, the girlfriend took it or whatever it was, they always look, tried to look tough, like in their face. This is not what you want. Mm. This is women inviting you into their home. Mm -hmm. you, you should look like the guy next door rather than... Um, but I only realized that afterwards. So I got a lot, a lot of requests, eventually averaging like three or four gigs per week. And then did it for five years. So counting those nine months where I got basically no gigs, then you know a little more than four years after that I did it. And um, I had two things that it had to be. It had to be a lot of fun, and I had to make a lot of money. And um, it was that for a long time. And then after five years, I got really bored of it, and I didn't want to do it anymore. It's hard to walk away from that much money, though. For um, I was averaging, by the time I was done, like three or $400 uh, an hour. <laughs> what? Yeah, for a show, and then, um, which was great. Um, it's killing my knees. <laughs> my knees paid for it. And um, yeah, got good at it. I was also very reliable. Again, my wife was sort of on my team. She would, you know, I, I imagine a lot of ways guys would do it is, uh, I don't know, I didn't drink, I didn't do drugs, I didn't, uh, I took it seriously. I was reliable. I just show up, you know, you had to commit if you're going to like, this is somebody's bachelorette party, you know, this is a big deal for them. Can be like, well, I don't feel like it. You know, people would ask me, well, what if you're not in the mood to do it? And it's like, well, then I get in the mood. You know, I generate it. You got to like make it happen. Yeah. Um, Is that where you learned that or were you always? Yeah. 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 It, it is where I did it because I did not feel like it. <laughs> There's actually a hilarious example of this when I turned 30. So I must have been doing it, you know, two and a half years, something like that. My 30th birthday. My wife, who's just fantastic with gifts and everything like that, she's had planned to uh, give me like all these presents and uh, all this stuff going on. So my my party. So uh, it's it's the weekend of my thirtieth birthday. I don't know anything about a party or anything like that, but she's been like giving me all these gifts all this week because it's my golden birthday. I was born on the thirtieth, and so it's my thirtieth birthday. Mm. And I had four gigs on a Saturday, which is the most time I, most I'd ever have, and it's it's too many. But again, I can't turn not turning down that kind of money and everything, right? So I gig at six o'clock, <laughs> shower, shave, pack all my gear, all this stuff and everything, thong and all this silly stuff and everything, and then go out, do the show, 
then shower, get dressed again, drive an hour to the next show. My legs get all stiff. My knees are killing me. Get out, do another show, you know. And knees are killing me and picking women up off the ground, you know, women of all shapes and sizes and uh, indiscriminately. And it was just rough on my body, right? Then shower, get dressed, drive another half hour to the next show, you know, all around the Bay Area. Not not clubs now at this point, you know, either hotels or people's homes or whatever they're showing up to the show. Then the third one, you know, and maybe that one's a half hour or something. And then I go to the Ford with it and I'm just beat. And I do not want to do it. And I check in with my wife in between each one and like download. I'll tell her how it went and blah, blah, blah. And uh, she would <laughs> patronizingly listen to me, I guess. And it was great. Like I said, uh, teamwork. And uh, I was like, God, I've never not wanted to do a show so much in my life. Like this is the, I'm just so done. I wish I could come home. I, you know. She's like, oh, it's okay, baby. You can do it, you know, and, you know, just go in there. You can make it happen. So I go up. It's in this hotel in San Francisco, and I uh, go up, and, you know, I'm, I'm dragging my bag. And I've done three shows. So I'm physically exhausted, not interested. It's not fun, you know, but it, I got to generate. And so I'm walking down the hallway in the hotel just dragging. Going, okay. I'm like, okay, suck it up. Got to make it happen. Show must go on. Like, here we go. And then I just, like, put on, like, big big fake uh you know like smile on my face to like make myself feel it i don't i'm faking i fake it till you make it like just and then just to get a point like okay here we go we got to do it and then uh knock on the door and who opens up the door she opens up the door it's my wife standing there (laughs) i go oh my god (laughs) and she's like happy birthday i'm like what i was like oh i'm so relieved she's like She's like, this is one of your gifts is I set this up as a, almost a prank that you're going to come to this show and you're going to do this show, and, but it's just her. And so the two oh. of us, turns out, like my mom had flown out. She was watching the baby. We have our kid at this time and um, watching the house. And, and so we get to like just have a night in the city on our own, you know, and this is after having a baby and all this and exhausted. I'm like, oh my God, this is great. I don't have to do the show now. She goes, oh no, you got to do the show. <laughs> so i just did a private show for her which is uh, that's awesome a different experience but the funny thing is she had been looking through the fucking peephole while i saw me walking down the thing so she saw the look on my face the exhausted me just be like fuck this i do not want to do this and then she saw me like do the fake (laughs) big smile (laughs) uh uh, that was great That's really cool that, how long have you been married? 22 years, wow, almost. you guys have been through a lot together. Yes, it's true. It's crazy. Yes. So I suppose that stability, that stability has been there now that I think about it, you know, as opposed to financial stability or, like, that has been a stable thing. And we've had our ups and downs in our relationship for sure, but I've never doubted that we're together we'll stay together yeah um and so she's been i don't yeah i don't think i would everything in life would be different without that but i doubt if i would it's hard to even imagine to go through these various things and take these risks and and trust that it's going to work out um it's always bouncing off her of like well what should we do you know you know it's not like i don't think about these things but it's all been created together you know i mean it wasn't her idea to be a you know, but I, I bounced it off her first. What do you think about me and a stripper? Oh, yeah, I could see that, you know. And then I was very successful at it, you know. Uh, um, to my knowledge, I was the most requested 
stripper in the Bay Area for that time. The reason I know that is because no other agency was in existence. Um, so it was just that one, pretty much. And that is what he told me. <laughs> wow. And and it was because of that photo. I got referrals, and that was good. But it was also that photo. And then I was reliable, and so they liked sending me out. You know, if some guy mm. was going to flake, he'd be like, well, you blew it. Now you got pissed off people, and they want their money back and stuff. And I never... Uh, the day my son was born, I had a show that night, <laughs> and I couldn't get out of it um, because it was the one time the the, the married couple that it, the, at the agency they're like, "We're first time ever. We're gonna go on vacation. We're turning our phones off. Like, so make sure you handle your shit." And I was like, "Okay, no problem. I've never had a problem." Of course, my son's born that morning, and then I was like, "Okay, I do not want to do this show." I went to that show. Remember crappy flip phones and they had the little shitty little photographs on them and stuff mm -hmm. like that. This, so I go to this show. It's at a hotel. It's a bachelorette party. And this is not what you, this is the opposite of what you want. You want like the sexy vibe. You don't want like uh, that going on for the women and everything. You don't want a motherly vibe going on. Like if one of them pukes because they drank too much, which would happen, then they all turn into like caretakers for that girl and then show's over, no money. Mm -hmm. Like it sucks, you know. So you yeah. don't want that to happen. Um, but I went to this and I did not care about the, you know, I was like, this is a huge day, of course, like, and I have to be at this stupid thing. This is weird, but it's my job and I don't want to disappoint these people. And it's just, I got to do it. And so <laughs> I do that and they're talking about, they say I wear, would wear my wedding ring and they would always think it's fake. They're like, oh, you just do that. So women don't hit on you. I go, it didn't matter what I said. They, oh, Josh, what a silly name. That's a, it's like a boy band name. Like that's, that's a silly stripper name. Go, well, it's my real name. So. Uh, but I, I showed him pictures. <laughs> I was like, oh, I had my wife give birth to my son today. And they're like, bullshit. <laughs> and so I just started showing them pictures of it. And then they turned in and they're like, oh, look at the little baby and everything. <laughs> but I didn't care. So yeah, you got to do what you got to do. Yeah. That was hard to, I tried to quit when it stopped being fun. I did quit. When? Well, I got into other stuff. I was by now. I'm, I'm training people in their homes, not at a gym. Oh, you're still training while stripping. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it was. I did both of those concurrently the whole time. So, how much were you making with your personal training? At this point, I'm doing eighty bucks an hour, training people in home, and I had no overhead except that I had to drive to their home, and mm -hmm. I kept getting. I had clients in the East Bay where I lived, and I had clients in the North Bay across that bridge, and then I had clients in San Francisco across that bridge. And um, so I would leave. And again, we had a we have a newborn baby, so I'd work Monday through Saturday training clients, and then usually Friday night have maybe one one or maybe two gigs, and then Saturday night maybe have two or maybe three or occasionally four and then sometimes sprinkled in some like lunchtime gig some other day or something weird so just hustling nonstop. Yeah. um i've been home with a baby she's a realtor she's like taking the baby around onto like showing houses and shit wow. like that so just really sleep deprived i don't know if you know anything about that but uh <laughs> uh that was wow that's hardcore the lifestyle yeah 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 really working hard is that is that the general culture of the area you were living in um maybe but that's not where it came from yeah sort of uh it's 
it's so expensive to live there. You've got to make a lot of money. Yeah. And so. So even though you were making as much money as you were, she still needed to work as well. Is that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what we were choosing to do at the time anyhow. Yeah. That's what we thought. And that's what we were doing. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And her thing was, you know, uh, being a realtor, very unpredictable, especially starting out, like when you're going to get a paycheck, you yeah. make, make no money for three months and then get a $8,000 check or something like, you know. So it was always, uh, we had a weird experience of like, is this coincidence or is this like how it is? Like, is there a cap? Like I would have a slow month and she would make money or hmm. she would have a drought for three months and then that's when I made money. It's like always seemed to balance it out and not quite be enough. Um. So, then I quit one time, and then it was just always there. I could just, they're like, didn't want me to quit. I was just like, well, it's beating up my body, my knees, are, and um, I want to not be doing this anymore. It wasn't fun for me. You know, too often I would be like dragging my ass to a gig and like, yeah. I don't really want to. And so I quit. And How far in was this? It was maybe four years or something. Okay. And then. They would call me back up and be like, hey, just checking in. You know, you're welcome to come back anytime. And I was just like, yeah, I guess I'll come back. Because it's hard to turn down $1,000 cash per week, you know, yeah. um, when I could be doing it. And uh, so I did go back to doing it. It was funny. Uh, the very first gig I had, that was, other than like a real gig, a, a party, not not at this this club that I was talking about. It was in San Francisco, and I lived in the East Bay. So I was going across the Bay Bridge, and my tire blows. So I get a flat tire on the bridge, which was scary. It's all the traffic going around you and everything. I was like, holy crap. And then they, they account for this, so they have this immediately all the traffic stops. Like uh, uh, The cops like stop everybody behind us, and a truck shows up, and, and then there's no traffic in front of me. And this truck pulls up, boom. I don't even get out. He's just like, Boom, changed my tire. Like, okay, go. You know, because I'm stopping the entire city traffic, right, mm. on this bridge. Yeah, it's crazy. And so then I go, and then I'm the only car on the entire bridge going this direction. It's a yeah. surreal experience. Full moon, heading, and go through Treasure Island, and then and you see nighttime San Francisco, and I'm the only car on this bridge heading to my first stripper gig. <laughs> I was like, this is nuts. And I'm late. I'm nervous. I know I, I, I did get out because I remember my hands were dirty. I was starting to change the tire or something, and then this guy shows up. I'm like, bam, bam, bam. So I'm like, I'm showing up late. I'm like sweating, nervous, like hands dirty, everything, showing up to this gig. And I show up these um, these Russian women. There's like five or six, and they're just having this random party, and they got a stripper. And it was, and they were super fun, and I didn't have my plan down and I my organization and the games and what I was going to do and everything. I just started, and they were just like so fun that it was all swept up in just this great vibe, and it was just awesome and i was like oh, i made so much money and looking back it was probably one of the lowest paid gigs i ever did because mm -hmm. i didn't know how to like hustle and do the different gigs and get different games and get tips and stuff like that so it was great so it was just perfect and lucky that they weren't like ah, you're late and you're all that you know uh because i would get that and uh it was awesome and built my confidence a lot and i was just kind of off to the races from there so cut to like four years later those same women hired me. They remembered me that I was so great and it was so much fun and everything. And they hired me to this party. It was a bigger party. And it's more like there's a there's a there's a sweet spot of like five or six women who are really close friends having a great time. That's what you want. You get to like 
18 women and like the mother-in-law is there and like your grandma's there and they're all like stiff and like, you know, more repressed and everything. No matter what I do, you know, and it's at 1230 on a Sunday or something, that's not a good vibe and it's hard to get it going. But it was kind of like that. So I'm at the show and it's like, and they're like, remember us? And I go, oh my God. They're like, yeah, we're, you know, and, um, and they're like, you were way better than <laughs> <laughs> and I wasn't really insulted. I was kind of like, yeah. Because by now I'm mechanically, I know exactly how to extract the most tips out of the situation. Mm. And I'm just going through it. And I don't love it anymore. And yeah. uh, I was so thrilled to be doing it the first time. Like, this is the fantasy of what I was talking about. Like, yeah. this is awesome. And uh, I was like, yeah, I'm not as good anymore. Like, I'm making more money. I'm more professional. I'm, I've got it down. But it's boring. You know, that... Like, where do you go from, you know, on the path of mastery? It's like, that's it. I was like, I want to get out before I'm like, this is somehow pathetic in my mind. Um, mm -hmm. So anyway, I, I did quit. Uh, when I quit was when I moved back to uh, Illinois. And so that was easy to make it stick. It's like, well, I can't do it anymore. I'm, I can't, I'm not going to build that back up here. I don't want to. Um, a thought crossed my mind, but I was like, nope, I don't want to. I don't, I'm not trying to. That's not what I'm up to. Why did you move to Illinois? Family. We grew up here. And uh, by now, my son's three and a half, and um, we uh, chose to uh, raise our family and live, uh, you know, in the Midwest again. Yeah. Had a great time in California. My wife especially wanted to be back here. And um, so I thought, okay, I'll do that. You know, it'll be better for the kids, better for her, and uh, all the grandparents and everything like that. I thought I was making a big sacrifice. Turns out I do love it being back here and, and don't miss living in California. And... When I was driving around, you know, all this, like, this grueling schedule of driving all over the Bay Area for training and stuff like that, I was like, man, I got to open my own studio and have people come to me. That was the inception of that thought. Mm. I was like, this sucks, you know, to be on a bridge for two hours and, and you know, all the traffic and everything like that. It's, I thought it was like, well, no overhead, but it's all the rest of my time, you know, traveling around. And so I thought when I moved back to, I, I vaguely was thinking I'll, I'll, get my own studio but again i don't know how to do that and when i moved here i had no clientele no contacts didn't know anybody you know um business wise and um so i i've been a trainer for five years at this time and i uh took a job at a big box gym and um actually went there just to get a membership and and they said well what do you do i was like well actually i'm a trainer and they're like oh you should work here and i go well you're not gonna pay me enough you know because i was making like 80 80 bucks an hour directly and they ended up paying like 25 bucks an hour you know which was a huge blow to my ego this is after the crash in 2008 um you know and we had lost our home in california and everything so back to the ups and downs and foreclosed on our home tried to sell it and uh, you know it dropped in like 200 grand in value and so i was pretty very much a low point financially i moved back here in the winter and um the plan was always to move back here and make a ton of money move back here wealthy mm. and uh it was the opposite you know with the real estate crash really hit my wife being a realtor our home going down in value so much and everything i was like well actually it is a good time to move it accelerated our plan we're gonna leave it like a couple years later it's like well rather than rebuild out there and then move it's like it seems like the right time to do it which it was so i got a job at this gym and i thought well i'll just work here for a, while, a year or so to and until I get the lay of the land and I figure out where I should open my studio. So I ended up working there for a year and a half. And then when the time is right, 
I did open my own place. And um, again, that was like knowing in my gut, this is what I want to do. Uh, and that's right at that five years, right when I moved back here, that's when I read that book, Mastery. And I recognized, because I had a great opportunity. I was like, maybe I'll quit being a trainer. You know, I go, wait a minute. It's been another five years. I was a jeweler for five years. I was a stripper for five years. And uh, trainer, I was like, started to see a pattern. I go, okay, that's me mm. getting bored and wanting to start something new and exciting rather than just keep on the path of mastery. Like boredom is a, pa a part of that. And to accept that, oh, that's, that's what the book said. It's like, oh, what do you do when you're bored? You just keep doing it and keep getting better. And the breakthroughs are fewer and far between. But doing something for 5, 10, 15, 20 years, the only way to get up to that level is to do it that long. There's no way to, like I said, if I start over at something now, 20 years from now, to get exactly where I'm at would be 67 years old. There's only so many times you can do that. Yeah. And uh, the idea of being masterful at something became more important than that rush of, ooh, this is new and exciting. And I want the rewards and benefits and I have a family to take care of. And but more of it's it's that's true. Um, but it's more that I'm interested in the idea of mastery and yeah. sticking with something for a long time. So when you moved from the the big gym, uh from the big box gym yeah. to owning your own place, yeah. how did you transition that? Secretly. <laughs> <laughs> I remember doing it and they go, hey, today's my last day. And this trainer I uh, worked with, he's like, oh my God, man. He's like, everybody talks about opening their own place and nobody does it. And you never talked about it. And then you just did it one day. You're like, did it. It was about 30 days that I did it. Um, they pissed me off. I was supposed to get paid vacation. I was like, I've never had paid vacation in my life. That sounds pretty great. And I was almost comfortable enough to stay there. I was the top one in sales. They'd offered me management positions, which I had turned down. Uh, it was actually very stressful to turn down because I was like, I knew I had to stick to my vision. I guess it's relevant to your, what you might want to hear is that I was there for three months and I felt overqualified to be there and you know, much more experienced than most of the trainers. There's a few really good trainers who've been there a long time, but um, most of them are new. And um, I wasn't, I was 32. I felt old compared to these, you know, 20, 22-year-olds and um, had been a trainer for five years and so it was just like, ugh, you know. But I was hustling and um, again, we were broke. So again, I'm working six days a week and um, after three months, they offered me a management position. It was weird. I thought about it for a whole week. I'm like, obviously, it's the smart thing to do. It'll make more money. There's a base salary, blah, blah, blah. Future in the company. But it was like a real, I saw it as a real fork in the road because I knew I wanted, I was, my dream was now to start my own studio and they this would be take me in this like corporate path and it wasn't me but it was so tempting it was, it was very stressful to turn it down to think that through that week it was, it was weirdly you wouldn't think so you'd think you'd be flattered and oh we're a great opportunity no thanks mm. but it was hard to turn it down and then i did and then so i was just waiting for the right opportunity and then i got kind of comfortable there uh after a year it was about a year and a half total that i had been there and um you know, the managers are always switching and stuff. There's a lot of turnover with that. And uh, I didn't like the particular manager I had at the time. And then I would, I'd been there a year. That's what it was. And it's like, okay, good. Now give me my paid week's vacation. And like, well, you have to average 40 hours a week and you average 39.2 hours a week. I was like, what the fuck? And so then I was just furious. I was just like mad at the whole thing. I go, yeah. okay, this is it. This is what I need. And I noticed that I was almost too comfortable. I go, all right, fuck you guys. 
And so to get mad, that was the little push I needed. And I was like, now's the time to do it. And I picked out where I wanted to be. I thought it was a good thing. I'd drive by it every day on the way to work. And um, again, you know, my wife likes now the time to do it. Yep. Had, do I have any money? No. Um, had no money at all. And, and uh, so got a little loan from a couple of people and then sold training in advance to my clientele and then used all that, spent all that to, for the build out, found the right place. Again, the right place at the right time. I was going to, I had this one spot picked out in this business park. It was kind of like on the inside. So you wouldn't, there was no, you would never see it from the road, which I, but I was like, well, you know, it's what I can afford. And I went and got my hair cut. This guy would cut my hair sometimes. I went and got my hair cut from this dude. I was like, I'll just tell him that I'll be his neighbor, you know, and maybe he'll send me some business, you know, who knows. So I got my hair cut and I'm telling him this. He goes, we should take my space. I go, what are you talking about? He goes, right next door. You know, he had opened a spa, but he didn't want to, but it wasn't working. So he had his, so he had a unit. He owned these two units and he was going to like put this one on the market. But uh, again, be in the right place at the right time. Mm. But that's what happens when you have the balls to like take action and do something. And then, you know, the harder you work, the luckier you get, you know, like worked hard at all this stuff. And then when an opportunity comes up and the guy's like, why don't you take this spot, which had the, was right there on the road, on the highway. So all these people would see you as they drive by. He goes, how about this? Then I'm going, yes. You know, and the next day we like signed a lease and that was it. I was like, and then it was 30 days later, paint, carpet, mirrors, buying equipment, putting it all in there. It was like 22 grand or something like that to, as I recall, to get even started off the ground. And just opened up. And so it was like 30 days from the idea of like, fuck this place, I'm going to start my own place, to opening the doors. That's the other thing. It was like once I'm making my mind for the action, it's like take the action and go. Yeah. Um, that's another pattern I'm seeing. <laughs> and, and But a lot of times I'm thinking about it. It's like I want to do this, and then months will go by, and like I really want to do this, and that desire stays with me. And then once the opportunity pops up, I see, oh, oh that's the opportunity. That's the move. Now's the time. Go. And I'll do it. Yeah, that's really, I see that pattern and all the stuff I'm talking about here. I feel like you have a really interesting, you're just aware of like a big picture. You're aware of opportunities that I feel like I don't, I wouldn't have noticed. You know what I'm talking about? You're very aware of shit. Uh, I try to be. I think it's really important to to know yourself. I don't remember when I found that to be so important, but I was like, okay, the more I know myself, like I know I can't be the guy, and I admire the guy that hates his job but sticks it out for 35 years and then retires with a pension or whatever. Like That's admirable in a certain way. On the other hand, I'd rather fucking kill myself than do that, you know, and not even really joking. I've never considered this, but like, it's like, why, why would you live that way? That my value, who I am, that's okay if that's who you are. That's great, actually. The world needs that. It's very valuable, but that's not who I am. And I, I, I think I know that. Not that I'm not going to work hard or suffer through stuff. And, you know, being a stripper sounds awesome, but there are days I could hardly walk upstairs. Yeah. Like I'm, 29 years old and I can't get up a staircase because my knees are killing me so bad. So it's not that I don't work hard, but it's got to be at something I love. And that's who I am. And um, 
like I said, once I'm sick of it, it's like, I got to be done. And then now to know to trick myself into a new type of challenge. And it may look that way that, oh yeah, I'm always, I'm not always aware. There's long, long periods of being like, what am I doing? What am I looking for? How do I get, I know what this thing I want and I don't see any way there. But then the opportunity will show up and I go, oh, that's how. And then to recognize it. Yeah. But I think you got to be in the game. You got to be taking action, self-aware enough to do whatever work you got to do to know this is what I want. This is what I'm trying to do. Otherwise, like shiny things will show up all the time. Oh, I could do that. Oh, I could do that. Oh, I could do that. And um, to know that I want my own studio, that 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 started when I was traveling too much. Once I was like, oh, I hate all this traveling around the Bay Area. It's 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 too much. And then it wasn't until, you know, that I move all the way to, you know, then there's a real estate crash. Then then I moved to Illinois. Then I work at this gym for a year and a half. And then the the moment comes. And I, and I then I knew that was the moment. Yeah. I'd been looking for the moment. And then when it showed up, it was there. And so now I do trust that more. It's like You just know that moment's I, gonna come. It'll I'll know it when I see it. I gotta be looking for it. I gotta be prepared to as best I can to take advantage of it when it comes and then a lot of times it comes and it's like okay I can own my own studio but I need $22,000 and I didn't even know that was the number I needed it's like I'm going to need a boatload of money is how it seemed and I don't have any access to any money but money can be found resources can be had to make something happen there's always a reason why you go, well, that can't happen because I don't have this. Yeah. Was the Geneva's common one of those opportunities, that doorway? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah the, the location that we're at now, you know, I had the first location expanded to a bigger location in the same business park, and then COVID hit, and then it was, you know, kind of ruined everything. And then I was just waiting. That was another very long waiting. I don't know how it's going to go. I don't know when. Anything's going to happen, but I had made up my mind, okay, I will stay committed to this. I will stay on the path of mastery. I'll be the last man standing when this all clears up, and then people, there'll be a high demand for what I have. And I didn't know how it would go, though, or how it would look, or if we could make it, or anything. I had no proof. Just like, this is what I'm going to do. And uh, my wife agreeing and supporting me, you know, working working with me. And uh, How does she agree to that? That's This is batshit crazy. <laughs> right well like i said a lot of, there's a lot, no logic to it no there's a lot of couples well we now have a lot of experience together of like mm. this is how our life can work if we make it work yeah and people have helped us and we've been broke and if you don't have the stomach for that then don't do it i you know i have close people with me you know employees and close friends and who look and and have said that like oh i could never do that and and i believe it i go no you couldn't because you don't have the risk tolerance or the, the stomach for the ups and downs. And what you really desire is stability and security. And that's those are not bad things. Yeah, uh, I wish I had those oftentimes too. It just doesn't come with the path that I've been choosing this whole time, you know? Mm. I could still be a jeweler working in Plaza Jewelers in Santa Rosa. But when I looked at that future, I go, oh my God. How boring, you know. Mm. I, I, why live if that's what I'm going to be doing? Yeah, that's how I felt about it. I yeah. don't, I don't say that to other people. 
that you should feel that way. But that's how I knew I, how I felt. Hmm. Well, we need to stop because my ride might be here. Oh, you really don't have a car. Yeah, 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 I really don't. <laughs> <laughs>